When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. And I'm Ben. And Ben, today's topic is 10 new car technologies that really aren't new at all. The more things change, huh? Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's strange, but all of the stuff that we're going to talk about today, people perceive as being brand new, mm-hmm. but we're going to find out that it goes back decades and decades. And I'll tell you how far back it goes as we go through this list, but it's uh, it, it comes from an article in uh, Jalopnik, mm-hmm. and uh, who's it? Raphael Orlov wrote this uh, wrote this article, and uh, well done, by the way. I mean, there's uh, you know suggestions here from Jalopnik readers, so this is a combination of, of Ever, you know, like a question of the day that went out, and they said, "What are some new car technologies that really aren't new at all that people think are new?" Mm-hmm. And so, I guess when we get to the end of this, I would ask our listeners to maybe contribute some to us that they think are, uh, you know, some that people need to know about. Like, well, that isn't really new; that's been around forever. I mean, I, I had that on my 1947 Studebaker or whatever. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's just dive right in. What do you say? Let's do it. Okay. So number ten automatic high beams and by this we mean those headlights that will dim when another car comes uh the opposite way yeah. uh these seem to be super modern but lo and behold back in 1952 general motors debuted this when they called it the auto autronic eye autronic eye um it was a sensor for oldsmobile and it could detect when another car was shining its headlights on you and then dimmed your headlights automatically. And you can actually find the brochure for the Autronic Eye um, out on the Internet today. Autronic Eye. Now, so this is a, a 62-year-old technology that is still promoted as being revolutionary in automobiles. <laughs> when uh, when when you go to the dealership and you know, you, you're talking to the salesperson, that's one of the features that they'll point out is automatic uh, you know, low and high beams, I guess, you know, that, uh, the automatic dimming, I think right, is what they yeah. call it, right? And, uh, so again, 62 years old. And, you know, I want to just make one little side note here on this. Hmm. I find that it's very difficult for me to find anywhere around here that I can use my high beams anymore. And I thought that was strange because I remember, you know, when I was younger, growing up, you know, just got my license out on some back roads, I guess, using high beams all the time. You know, you had to. Yeah. Um, but now, Everywhere that I drive now is so congested, so busy with people that it doesn't matter what time of day, where you are, uh, you're unable to use your high beams like you used to. Because you're a considerate person. Um, yeah, you're right, because a lot of people still <laughs> use their high beams 
all day long everywhere, right? Tell you what, man, we need to, we need to fit the Honda with some LEDs. We need to get them always on high <laughs> and just let it rip. Well, I've seen people that do exactly that and yeah. uh, it's not very nice, but here's another headlight. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I guess feature that's not brand new that people think is new. And I bet a lot of people point to Tucker when they think about this one, but it yes. goes back farther than that even. Yep. All right. So this is swiveling headlights. And now we've talked about Tucker, of course, mm-hmm. exhaustively, right? I mean, we had a three part episode. Yeah. Was it, it was three part or yeah, three part Preston Tucker episode, which actually we still get mail about that, that people really enjoy that story. Yeah. That highlight in the middle or the headlight in the middle, excuse mm-hmm. me, that lamp. Uh, was the one that swiveled with the steering wheel. Yeah, one central lamp in the center. Now, it had, you know, two normal headlights that didn't do anything, but then the right, one that was stationary. Would, the one that would turn, which is kind of like a mechanical situation where, you know, you turn left and the, the headlight goes left. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, right? I mean, it, God, it, I want a tucker so it illuminates exactly where you're going, but that's not the, that's not exactly where this all began. Right. Um, well, the first company actually, well, okay, let's walk backwards, right? Oh, let's, let's do it in reverse order. How about yeah, that? Yeah, so, okay, so there's, there's one that's even newer than the Tucker, uh-huh. uh, that, that a lot of people point to. They think that the Citron was maybe the first one, right? Right, with the, uh, DS back in the 1960s, but that is not completely correct, Scott. Well, what's that? Well, <laughs> let's, let's talk about the DS for just a okay. second, though, because, you know, the Citron in 1967, it was their model DS, and this is 47 years ago, so it's a long time, right? I yeah. mean, 47 years ago. It was standard on uh, something that they called the Palas model. Uh, it was an option on the DS. So um, th- this headlamp would swivel 80 degrees um, as the driver steers. So, again, it was a mechanical situation. So, um, you know, the outboard low beam headlamps were also self-leveling on this vehicle. So it did have some, you know, pretty advanced headlight technology or headlamp sure. technology yeah. uh, for its day. I mean, 47 years ago, that's a long time. But even older than that was uh, was the Tucker. Mm-hmm. And that was in 48 Right. 1948. So that was, uh, that's how far ago. That was 66 years ago. But it goes back even farther than that, right? Yes, you're right, Scott. Even before the Citroen, the first company, or the Tucker, excuse me, the first company to debut this swiveling technology was the Czech Tatra in 1935. A Tatra of all things. And 1935 from a Czechoslovakian car in 1935. And it had this system. Which is pretty incredible. I mean, that's 79 years ago that they were doing this. Oh, guys, please check out our, uh, Cars of the Iron Curtain. Story. 70, 79 years ago. So, so 1967, 1948, and then all the way back to 1935. That's when these were, uh, supposedly debuted again because, you know, it, it's a technology that came around, it went away, then it came around mm-hmm. again, then it went away. And it's, you know, it's just a cycle thing, a cyclical thing. So wait, so it sounds like you're more surprised by the time of the invention, by the date of the invention, and I'm more surprised by the automakers who came up with it. Well, yeah, you know what? And now that I think about it, you're right. I mean, for for an Iron Curtain car to really to come up with uh, <laughs> with with swiveling headlamps, I and mean, that's pretty remarkable. Right? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not. It's just that they weren't the highest quality cars, but Tatras were the best of breed, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah, definitely. They were the cars of the party leaders. Yes, that's right. So out of all of those cars of that uh, that ilk, I guess, in this uh, enormously equal society. Yeah. <laughs> The only people who could get a Tatra were the ones in charge. I wonder what the wait list was on that. It was probably like 15 years. So, right. you know, you order one in 1935, you got it in 1950. Oh, it's rough. I, I think we did talk about the wait list. Today. Yeah, we did. Oh, but one thing we haven't talked about yet in this episode would be retractable hardtops. Yes. Now, a lot of people think retractable hardtops are something new because uh, there's, I mean, I can think of 10 examples right now I could give you of modern vehicles that have 
Oh, retractable yeah. hardtops. And There's, different kinds, too. Yeah, Mazda, BMW, Volvo, Chrysler, VW, Mercedes-Benz, Infiniti, Mercedes. Did I ever say Mercedes? I did. Ferrari Mitsubishi. has one. Yeah, okay, so there's like 12, 15, yeah. something like that. I mean, Ferrari has one even. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty remarkable the, the number of modern manufacturers that have a retractable hardtop. And a lot of people say, well, that's brand new. And then there's others that say, oh, no, no, that goes back to the 1950s when uh, I think it was Ford did that first, right. right? yeah, yeah. That's not really true either. Nope. It goes even farther back than that. It goes back 80 years. All the way back to the 1934 Peugeot 601 Eclipse. Yeah, pretty good name for that vehicle, right? I mean, if yeah. you think about it, Eclipse nice. with the with the top rolling back, right? Yeah, there's a theme there. Yeah, yeah pretty smart. So 80 years ago, a 1934 Peugeot, and this is a big, big vehicle. And it was designed by a guy, he was a legendary French, get this, dentist, yep. war hero, uh-huh. and car designer. <laughs> his name was uh, his name was George Paulin, P-A-U-L-I-N, Paulin. And uh, it's an incredible looking vehicle. I mean, it's really... Pretty snazzy looking. I mean, Super it's, sleek. It's a long vehicle with running boards and rolling fenders and everything, but this, it has this enormous retractable hardtop that went back into the uh, into the boot area, and it's just a it's a cool design. So if you get a chance to take a look at the, the 1934 Peugeot 601 Eclipse, take a look online and see what you can find because it's really a cool design. And while you're online, if your Google Foo is good enough. You will be able to see, uh, you'll be able to learn a lot of stuff about number seven on our list, hybrids. Uh, may I rant just momentarily? Sure. Okay. So, Scott, every so often, increasingly, uh, interest in a specific type or brand of hybrid will hit our show and then we'll say, oh, okay, we'll cover it because we'll read these um, glowing emails or something uh, from listeners who say, this is the future. And then we learn more and more, and we often learn uh, slightly disillusioning things about hybrids, like when we did the cost of ownership for a hybrid versus uh, just an IC car. Yeah, the equally equipped vehicle with, uh, with a gasoline engine. Right. How much money do you actually save? Because so many people will say, you know, well, I'm paying a little extra more now at the upfront, but it's a gold mine in a year. Yeah, because uh, I'm not going to be buying fuel like you are, like a sucker. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, uh, but then you find out that you know it's uh, it's 17 years before you start making money back at four dollars a gallon or whatever it was. Right. Yeah. There's a yeah. heck of an investment there. Um, but uh, despite what many many people have told us, uh, the hybrid technology. That, that we think of today is not new by any stretch. No, no, no. You want to guess on how far back this goes, Ben? I think you already know, though. You've been studying, right? So, yeah. So I'll just, uh, I'll just hit our listeners with this. All right. 114 years ago was the first hybrid vehicle. Mm-hmm. 114 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a long, long time. That's that's longer than General Motors has been in existence. We just talked about <laughs> GM being a 106-year-old company, right? right. This, is, this is 114 years ago, and it was built by Ferdinand Porsche. Mm-hmm. But not for his own company, because remember he was kind of a um, uh, he was he was not a freelancer or anything like that. But he was working for different companies as an automotive engineer in in his early days. Right? This was a train car company, right? I believe it was, and it was uh, is it Loner? L O H N E R Loner. Uh-huh, yeah. He was working for Loner at the time, and so this vehicle also, you know, and in addition to being a hybrid, it also had in wheel motors. I mean, these the you know motors that power the wheels that are in the wheels, they're built in the wheels. Pretty remarkable for, uh, what year was it, 1900? Especially yeah. considering 
all the new models, right? Yeah, there's also new models. I mean, Nissan is even now talking about a vehicle. I think it's called the Blade Glider, Blade Runner, mm-hmm. Blade, Blade Glider. Glider, Blade Glider. Mm-hmm. That uh, that real narrow. It's um, like a remix of an aerial atom. Yeah, yeah, it's a crazy vehicle. It's they're talking about maybe having in-wheel motors in a 2018 Nissan model. So again, they're talking about this supposed new technology that's not really new at all. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. And uh, speaking of that, Let's uh, up the stakes a little. Let's yeah. raise the ante here. Sounds good. All right. Number six. Now, a little bit of a differentiation here. In number six, they call it electric luxury and racing cars. Mm-hmm. I would like to go ahead and just say electric cars. Okay. Um, here's the thing, right? We've got all these electric cars. You'll always hear about them from the Nissan Leaf to the uh, the EV1, right, that mm-hmm. Saturn had and all all that slow jazz and, oh, let us not forget Tesla. But if you go back to the beginning of cars, and long-time listeners, you guys know this, ladies and gentlemen, uh, they're even older than hybrids, of course, because before 1900, most luxury cars were actually electric for a number of tremendously compelling reasons. They were way safer. The ride was smoother and they were quieter. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it makes sense to think that they would take some of these uh, these top end vehicles and turn them into uh, kind of a race car, I guess. So, you know, the first, um, you know, 
land speed record breaking vehicles, yeah. right? And it's funny to think about it because especially taking a look at the photo that, it, that goes along <laughs> with this because I've got a little bit of information about this specific vehicle, but we're talking about 115 years ago, Ben. That's a long, long time. 115 years ago was the very, very beginning of the automobile era, I guess, in the mm-hmm. United States and, and really around the world. And they're taking these electric vehicles, which, you know, again, they're, they're pretty advanced, actually, for, you know, considering the, the uh, technology that they had to work with, these lead-acid batteries and how heavy yeah. they were and yeah. the materials that they had to work with and all that, right? So there are people that are taking these and rebodying these vehicles and making them lighter and faster, and they look kind of ridiculous. There's a, there's a funny one here that um, goes along with this article, and it's actually the very first vehicle to reach 100 kilometers per hour, which is about 62 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, extremely fast in 1899. You've got to imagine, right. put yourself in that time, All right? the suspension is outside of the body of the car. Yeah, exactly right. It looks like he's sitting on a torpedo. Yeah. And, he, and the driver is sitting way up high inside mm-hmm. that torpedo. Now, that body, Ben, is actually a lightweight, um, an alloy body, and it was made out of something called partinium. And it's an alloy of aluminum, tungsten, and magnesium that makes up that body. And it's called, and just so our listeners can, can look this up and kind of see exactly what we're talking about, because it's, it's honestly, it's a pretty ridiculous looking car. If you want to think about like someone trying to set a land speed record in this thing, mm-hmm. um, it's called the La Jamais Content. And it's a, uh, in, in, you know, if you translate that to English, it's a French word. If you translate that to English, it means the never satisfied. So they're saying that, you know, this car can go faster and faster and faster, and it's just a matter of how far we want to push it, really. And if you want to see this vehicle in person, you can actually go see this 1899, you know, luxury electric vehicle that set the land speed record in 1899. Uh, you can go see it on display at the Automobile Museum in Compagnie, France, which is in a castle. This museum is in a castle, so that's kind of a cool setting. But uh, what a strange-looking vehicle. I, I suggest you look it up because uh, it's, it's really fascinating. Uh, now, here's one that I, I think is kind of a softball, number five. Yeah. We don't even need to spend too much time on it because uh, Car Stuff listeners already know that push-button starters are super old. Uh, the the idea that uh, you could push a button to start the ignition on your car um, – it's 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 around. So think about like even the you know the British sports cars you know from the the 1930s and 40s that had push button starts. I mean a lot of them did. I mean old MGs even had you know push button starts and um, you know Aston Martins and um, you know just all the uh, Jaguars had them. I mean all these these makes and manufacturers from way way back. I mean decades and decades ago. I mean at least 65 plus years ago they mm-hmm. were doing push push button starters and now it's kind of a trend that's come back in the last I'd say. Uh, seven, eight years, right? Yeah, yeah. I'd say I'd say it's more of a resurgence. Yeah. Uh, then there's self-leveling suspension that makes number four on our list. This is also, I don't know. This is kind of an easy one to me too, Scott. You know? Yeah, I agree. A lot of manufacturers do this, and uh, they incorporate sometimes self-leveling suspension with uh, with self-leveling headlamps and things sure. like that that we've already yeah. talked about. So yeah, I mean, but this goes back to um, 1954, so 60 years ago is when the first self-leveling suspension vehicle, when you could first get that um, on a production vehicle. And that was on a Citron. Uh, in 1954, as I said, there was a, a vehicle called the Traction Avant. But as they say here in the article, the first dramatic use was on the 55DS. Now, I don't know what they're saying, you know, dr- why they're saying dramatic use. I'm not exactly sure why they would say that. Like, <laughs> just, you know, to uh, to 
differentiate between the use and dramatic use. I, of. I feel like maybe they're saying the first sustained or publicized well-known use because usually, you know, it may be very well be a case where the traction Avant has the capability or... Or maybe it had a system that didn't work all that great compared mm, to the one that came yeah. out in 55. Yeah, because that, had a Nedzel. Well, that happens. In, in 54, it came out and maybe it was uh, a little <laughs> rougher on the edges, but in 55, it was really working well. But anyways, they, they uh, you know, kind of the idea rubbed off on other manufacturers. And, uh, you know, the British Motor Corporation got a similar system they called hydroelastic in 1962 and then get this rolls-royce licensed citron system in 1965 so they must have been doing something right in the following 10 years because uh, they got it right after 54 is what i'm saying because you know between 55 and 65 it was good enough for rolls-royce to say yeah we'd like that on our car too yeah that's a really good point i mean that's uh it's pretty good promotion for them uh speaking of Something that should be on all cars, uh, regenerative braking is just a great idea, yeah. right? Well, it's a great idea. And I was caught out by this one because when I first learned of regenerative braking, this is just so embarrassing. The first time I learned of regenerative braking in a production car was on the Honda Insight. Ah, I see. So you thought it was, was brand like, new. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Look at the technology. What do you, th- <laughs> whoa, we're in the future. But as I was looking into it, you know, because for a time, I I kicked around the idea of maybe even getting rid of the Monte Carlo I owned at the time and going for an Insider Prius. Hmm. Um, didn't take the bait. Mm-hmm. Uh, no regrets yet. But as I was looking into it, I learned that regenerative braking is actually surprisingly old. Yeah, yeah. In fact, you know, you would think that it would go back to uh, 1900 with uh, with Porsche and his inline. I'm sorry, is in-wheel motors, right? Right. You yeah. would think, but I'm not even convinced. I'm not sure that that one even had regenerative braking. It might have, but I, I don't see it mentioned anywhere. No. This goes back even farther than that. It goes back an additional six years. So this is uh, this is a technology that's 120 years old at this point, Ben. The first car to recharge its battery with the brakes was a, a vehicle that was built by a guy named Lewis Krieger, and he started building these EVs, I guess you could call them EVs, sure. back in 1894 in Paris. And it was just, you know, called, I think, the front-wheel drive electric horseless carriage. Um, it was a pretty remarkable vehicle. It looks just like a horse, you know, a carriage that would have a horse out front. It does. Uh, but it has a couple of chauffeurs on the front with the steering wheel. And it's kind of like a, um, it does have a steering wheel, but it's in a flat position, almost like you would see a rudder, mm-hmm. uh, you know, those rudder drive vehicles. And it's got, it's you know, it's got asymmetrical wheels. As yeah, well. yeah, that's a strange look, isn't it? I mean, I think there were batteries stored in different places, like under the under the drivers was one, under the coach was a second battery, and uh, this thing would charge um, in different regenerative braking modes, and there were more than one. Uh, yeah, there were eight. There was one just for starting, right? Um, there was one for slow speed forward, three for recuperation at forty volts, four and five were normal speeds, uh, six was recuperation at eighty volts. Seven and eight were recuperation extra high speeds. Uh, these were all ways of charging the battery. So you have a car in 1894 that's electric mm-hmm. that is eight modes was eight regenerative braking modes, which is pretty remarkable. I mean, for think about 1894, the technology that they had available and what they were doing with it. I mean, they're pretty smart about how they did this. Um, the the technology then was used later on in uh, some early tram cars. I found out. So the um, the idea was that you know tram cars. Around, you know, turn of the century, around 1903, they started to use uh, regenerative braking to charge batteries and to slow cars down on steep grades. 
Uh, but I guess there was a serious accident that put an embar- embargo on that type of traction somewhere around 1911. There was some kind of uh, a major mishap that happened uh, with it. And they determined that, you know, maybe that was at fault, maybe it wasn't, but we're going to put an embargo on this type of technology for now just because we're not sure. But 20 years later, it made a comeback. And around 1931, uh, the idea of regenerative braking for tram cars was, you know, beginning to be used again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we didn't hear about it really until... Well, again, it was like uh, probably mid two thousands, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when when you heard about it, like mid what, like two thousand five, four, whenever. I, yeah, I don't know if I even want to put a date on it because I can't remember when all these vehicles were coming out with uh, with the supposed new technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but a lot of people were like me and just stupidly amazed by it. Without you know, I mean, that's not fair. I was stupidly amazed. Other well, people were probably just legitimately you know, but think, amazed. But think about it this way. I mean, over your lifetime, the course of your lifetime, there was no real need for you to know that unless you were um, an antique collector of some kind or had studied uh, the history of tram cars or you knew about, um, you know, the specific Krieger vehicle that used regenerative braking. I mean, we, we just didn't have any real need to know about that until it came about again. Well, you're, you're very kind. You're very kind. <laughs> um, here's one thing that might have caught a lot of other people by surprise. Let's start as we get to, let's see, what is this? This is number two on our list. So let's explore this a different way. Okay. This technology also comes from the late 1800s, but a lot of people think it's new. Yeah, it does. And uh, this is, uh, this is an interesting one because it was a big deal when I worked at Chrysler because they were uh, coming out with vehicles that were powered or that, the, the power was transferred to the wheels via CVT. Now, that's con- continuously variable transmission. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, a pretty big fascination with this type of technology because it is, it is interesting how it works. And I think we've had we, – we've either done a podcast or an article on this on our site, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, we've done transmissions, and we covered CVT okay. um, in both both on uh, the website, HowStuffWorks.com, shameless plug, and uh, on our podcast, which you can hear on – carstuffshow.com shameless plug number two yep very good ben and uh, you know what this is one though that i will say is uh is primarily visual i mean you really have to see this in operation to understand and you have to study it you have to you have to have you have to see what's going on and then it has to be labeled really to show you like watch right here and this is what's happening and it'll tell you you know the annotations i guess have to be turned on your video in order to to understand why they call it the rubber band drive right exactly right and the one that i'm thinking of used a uh a chain uh, so, you know, there's different modes of, of, uh, what's they called a belt. I think it was a metal belt. Yeah. Uh, but there's different ways to do this and it came from a very unlikely source, right? Yeah. It came from a sawmill, right? <laughs> yeah. This is so strange. The first car to have a CVT was built by a guy named Milton Reeves back in 1896, which again, that's 118 years ago. And that idea was derived from his sawmill transmission. Which was invented in 1879. So the the idea of the CVT goes back to 1879, and it was first used for uh, a sawmill transmission. And I can't even say that that was the first use because that's just where he got the idea from. Right. Yeah. It could have come from anywhere else, and they could say, "Well, that sawmill in 1879, that idea came from this, you know, 20 years prior." I don't know. I'm not sure where that came from, but we can trace it back as far as 1879. And now. Ladies and gentlemen, we have arrived at uh, the number one spot on this list, which we actually mentioned in a tangent earlier in this podcast. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. 
and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Mr. Benjamin, would you like to do the honors? I will, Ben, and I'll tell you that Tesla Motors is not the first company to pose this idea. Battery swapping. Yep. He is not the first by a long shot. Yeah, so we're talking about Elon Musk, right? Uh-huh. And uh, his great idea that's brand new, right, to... uh to swap batteries in cars as you drive across the country. So, you know, you deplete your battery, you pull into a charging station, and you've either got the option of plugging in and hanging around for a few hours until it charges back up, or they can unbolt the one that you've got in your vehicle and uh, bolt in a brand new one, and you're on your way. So back in the 1880s, New York City had this company named in a burst of wild creativity, the Electric Vehicle Company. And the Electric Vehicle Company had a fleet of electric taxi cabs. And you would just, the, if you were driving the cab, you would drive around until you were running low on power. You would go to the EVC headquarters and they would have a warehouse full of batteries. And then you would, the taxi would drive on this little platform and some guy would come out and, and switch it out, you know, pit stop style. Yep, that's right. Quick, right? Yeah, and uh, the problem was that they spent so much money keeping their own battery swap technology growing, just the battery technology, that the cabs grew too old and and, uh, expensive. Again, and I've got to say this again, and we keep saying this, right? We keep saying that we got to remember that electric cars were mainstream up until about 1900. Which is so 
very strange. Yeah, I mean, right around 1900. So, yeah. you know, we saw, we talked about 1880s here all the way mm-hmm, through. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did the company finally go under? It was 1907. like 1907. The company finally went bankrupt and, and they were operating some crazy amount of, um, of electric vehicles within New York City. They were operating, I want to say they, they grew. He also expanded too fast and that was one of the problems. Yeah, so, that happens a lot. So, you know, there's this guy and I'll just give you a kind of a tiny little backstory and then we'll, we'll move on from yeah, there. Yeah. But, um, so we're already at number one. So we don't have anywhere to go from this one. This <laughs> an interesting little side note on the, uh, the electric car company, right? Mm-hmm. And why it kind of failed early on. And I think that most of it points to this one guy and this one company, which is pretty interesting. I'm almost thinking that we should do a full episode on this, but I'll briefly outline it here. How about okay, that? yeah, do the Reader's Digest first. Yeah, I will. I'm, uh, in 1900, there were something like, there were more elect- electric automobiles on New York City streets than there were cars powered by gasoline at the time. So, you know, proportionally, there were more electric vehicles in in 1900 than there were gas-powered vehicles. Hmm. Although I should say that there were more steam-powered vehicles than any other type of vehicle on the road at that time. I mean, so, to be fair. Yeah, exactly. So so there's this guy, he, he was the um, the former Secretary of the Navy. His name is William C. Whitney. And he kind of bought up this company that was, uh, was running short on cash. It was a New York City electric cab company that was run by two guys named Morris and Solemn. And they had something like $200 million in assets. At the time when he bought them, and I don't know what he bought them for, but must have been low. And he he had dreamed that he was going to build this kind of taxi cab empire, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, this this Whitney guy did, and so he thought, well, I've got a solution for um, the obstacle that, that these battery powered electric vehicles have. Instead of stopping every couple hours to recharge as they had in the past, he was going to do this battery swap thing, right? So yeah, all this sounded familiar. Yeah. So he does yeah. he does all this, right? And he and he actually gets the the stations in place, and it's all working out fine. And he starts to grow. He starts to expand, but he expands too fast. And honestly, Ben, now that I think about it, that idea of swapping the battery, it kind of goes back to the early, early days of the uh, these taxis or these runabouts where they would have, and I don't know if runabouts is the right word, but they would swap horses. So you get a, oh. you would get the driver would come in and get a fresh horse, yep, and then true. and then go out for another well, like round. Pony Express did that too. Yeah. So there you go. That's a, that's your battery swap origin right there. Now that I think about it. All right, so he expanded too fast. He, they they went from something like 13 cabs when he started. Mm-hmm. Then they expanded to like 200 cabs and then to 16 ca- or I'm sorry, to 1600 cabs. So, you know, it was too fast and and the the too um, furious. It was sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And he ended up with like something like 2000 battery operated taxis that are operating in the city, trucks, buses, things mm-hmm. like that that are going around, right? And he's really focused on that battery swap system and how that's all working and the, you know, the technology to keep that going. And the, uh, the cabs just went into kind of disrepair. Um, they just weren't being maintained the way, the way they should have been. And they were a safety concern mm-hmm. and it just led to the downfall. And then people got such a sour taste in their mouth from that, from that experience because they saw these cars that just rapidly deteriorated. And they, their impression later on was that, well, these electric cars, they're kind of junk. But that's Ouch, not really the yeah. case. Nobody it's, wants to ride in a ratty cab. There were there were decades of cars before that that were perfectly fine, that were maintained and and you know worked well and everything worked out fine. But they remember these taxi cabs in New York that were so poorly run and so poorly uh, poorly operated that um, it left this bad taste in their mouth. And really, that was so hard to overcome that it's been decades and decades and decades before people kind of forgot about all that. And they're saying, well, maybe electric's the way to go again. Well, that's part of the, you know, I think that's part of the problem, but that was not, that was not the only thing that happened. 
and you know that some the some of the shades of one of my other shows are coming out yeah. whenever we talk about what happened to electric cars sure. around that time period. Um, and we actually covered this in car stuff as well. But without harping on that, I will say that there are a couple of other technologies that we found along the way that are often reported as new that are not actually new, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you, you probably stumbled upon a few. Well, like what? Well, uh, hydraulic suspension. But sure. that goes to that self-leveling suspension, too. That was mm-hmm. one. Um, reverse cameras. Oh, yes. Reverse we, cameras. We looked at that with some of the concept cars. I think there were uh, there was a Motorama car that had that, wasn't there? I think there was. Yeah, yeah. that's right. One of the ones that the, uh, the Dream, was dream it Car Was the Buick exhibit. Centurion? It might have been the Centurion. It was uh, – that, that sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. But it's a car from, you know, like when was it, the 50s? Yeah. 1950s? Yeah, it's one of the so Harley Earl cars. Yeah, it's like a 60-plus-year-old vehicle that had a, a rear backup camera system mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, a PA system and all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff. Um, so all this stuff that, you know, people think is brand new, if you really do some digging – um, the idea or the, uh, the actual piece itself may go back. I mean, in some cases, like, you know, the, uh, the battery swapping thing, that's predates that, cars. That's one, it's 125 <laughs> years old. The idea is 125 years old and Elon Musk is going to be filthy rich from this idea right. right here in the modern day. Well, and it's, and it's interesting too, because whenever you hear about a new innovative feature, there, there's a good chance that you can find a precedent in what I call some of the anachronistic cars, um, by it, by which I just mean uh, that they did they were probably ahead of their time. Mm-hmm. So, like the Phantom Corsair has a lot of stuff that shows up later. Sure, right? yeah, but it's just features. It's not the overall car. The overall car was, I guess, in a way, a failure, right? I mean, yeah, the, oh yeah, it's awesome. It's, it's really a great car. The like the features are good. The ideas are good. Just like yeah. the the Tucker Forty Eight, yeah. good car, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is that these these features alone, depending upon the time in which they come out, um, may not be what the market wants, especially if they are expensive. Oh, yeah. That's always the thing is the new technology is always expensive. So when you initially see this stuff, mm-hmm. it's going to be expensive. But when it comes back, it's going to be refined and maybe a little bit lower cost, right? Yeah. Well, hopefully. Uh... Hopefully. But, you know, we still are seeing that hybrid cars were still more expensive. I mean – which is weird because hybrid cars have been around since 1900, as we found out. But you would think that by 2005 or whenever the, the Prius came out, uh, that you would think that, you know, maybe it would be a little bit lower cost. But they're not using technology from 1900. They're they're using right. new technology to put it together. It's a new way to do it. So, it's of course, it's going to be more expensive initially, and it's going to slowly start to come down as, uh, you know, the years pass. But, th- Scott, lists like these have me always shaking my fist at the sky and wondering what would have happened, where would we be now if this stuff had not gone away mm-hmm. and returned, if it had just continually been researched upon. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. We no. can't change the past. Yeah, but... look at it, you know, 2020 hindsight, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's difficult to determine where we would be now. I mean, would we have flying cars? Would we have, uh, you know, the, the Jetson-type future that they thought we were going to have? Oh, and... There's some news you know, about flying cars recently. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. What, we'll save it for another day. Okay. Maybe for a Nuts and Bolts episode. Maybe for a Nuts and Bolts episode. And we would like for you to participate in this show, if you're game, uh, write an email to us or hip us to something that you'd like other Car Stuff listeners to know about. Uh, we may read your email, tweet, or Facebook message on the air. 
Uh, the only way we can do that, of course, is if you send it to us. So hit us up on the internet. We are carstuffhsw. Uh, we're carstuffshow.com. And if you want to email us directly, if you don't like the whole social media rigmarole, we get it. Our address is carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.